I am Matwe Middelkoop and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 81 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host, and I'm excited to get the show back on the air and look forward to this year of tennis. We launch 2021 speaking to the very likable Dutch doubles pro Matway Middlecoop. We go from getting mugged playing futures in Africa to sports psychology to beating Federer and wearing Novak Djokovic's clothing range. With plenty of advice thrown in and stories, you're going to love this episode. Before we get started, I'm delighted to announce our podcast sponsor Slinger are back on board. They've been great to us and they've been doing a great job with their Slinger bag, which you can find out more about at slingerbag.com. And if you're stuck in lockdown, check out their account. They've an exciting lockdown challenge initiative launched. Okay, here we go. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Matt Way. Hi, Matt Way. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Hi, Fabio. Thank you so much. Great to have you on. This is our first episode for 2021. Excited to to get going. I took a bit of a Christmas break. And tell me, did you did you take any Christmas break? Yes, uh, we did. Uh, fortunately, we did because as a tennis player, uh, we hardly uh, ever do Christmas because normally we're going flying to Australia uh, around first Christmas or second Christmas day. So now being home. For the wrong reasons, though, but it's uh, still a good feeling to be surrounded by them. Great. And do you have wife and kids back home? Uh, no wife. I have a little daughter. She uh, she's uh, almost uh, two, and uh, she's the sweetest thing ever. <laughs> Our kid Max is one and a half now, so I'm oh, a, bit, nice. a bit behind you, but it's it's very exciting. Obviously, it's a bit last year she couldn't have really travelled with you, so. Hopefully in the future she can travel with you to the Grand Slams because it's great seeing the players at the Slams with their family. I think it's just very nice. Yeah, of course. Already seeing the people and already put that energy there and, you know, maybe uh, one day uh, he will be there too. Yeah, uh, well, hopefully. But uh, so let's talk a bit, a bit about you. You're mainly a doubles player now. You played singles in the past. What was your top singles ranking? So my top singles ranking was, I would say... Back in 2008, it was, uh, I think, 197 ATP. So, yeah, basically top 200. Um, and doubles. That gave me ex- and, and doubles, my highest is uh, 30. Okay, so, and how, you, you were probably quite young when you made the transition to doubles. Uh, actually, I wasn't. I was very old when I made the transition uh, to doubles. I was uh, 31, to be precise, to make the the. the transition to those uh, that was back in 2015 oh, okay um, so you made it a bit later than i thought what was the driving force for that decision was it financial was it any other reason so uh, well the real reason was that i was uh, hitting a roadblock with my career i was uh, at the time playing futures and when you're playing futures on your 30 or years or 31 years uh, that's that's not a great achievement um i was successful in singles but not that successful that i was you know financially independent or uh, achieved what i always wanted to achieve so at that moment i was in egypt in 2014 and i uh, i lost my first round in the futures there and i was so angry and disappointed in my in, in myself basically and then i had to make 
a, a, a tough decision what to do with my career. Either I stop playing tennis and, well, go to a normal job, let's, let's put it that way, or continue doing what I love the most. And that was uh, finding a way to be successful in tennis. And then uh, I decided at that moment, when I was in tears and then uh, crawling up in my uh, in my in my bed to you know what I'll make a decision I go for doubles, so next year is going to be only doubles and from yeah from that moment it took off. And had you played much doubles before then? Well, I have played uh, doubles in you know every single player plays doubles. It's only the level of like the interest uh, you have for it. I didn't have interest in doubles. I just did it for to practice or to get some extra money or to get some hospitality, you know, like the most the single players do. But I always, you know, won my matches, not playing well, but, you know, doing what I thought was playing doubles. Looking back on that, I was playing singles in the doubles, I would say. <laughs> but They seem to be the most dangerous type of players. Though, though, yeah, they're, we were unpredictable. Uh, but I had no idea what to do at the net. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? If I do this, I go for it and I, there's no looking back, you know, and I gave myself a full chance to to make the transition. So, yeah, I really had to learn to play doubles. I had no idea pos- about position. I had no idea about tactical uh, point of view of doubles. And I had no idea to play a volley. So I had to learn those things quite uh, quite fast, if you can imagine. Where did you learn? Who did you turn to to give you advice uh, uh, well, basically, it was YouTube. Uh, when I was uh, starting 2015, I was playing with uh, Wesley. I started with Wesley Kulhoff, who was now number five in the world. And we started together. Uh, I was 300, he was 250 in the world. And basically, I was playing singles in the doubles. Like you said, it's a very dangerous combination. However, when I was on the net, I had no idea what to do. So I was like, okay, you know what? Um, I, I just look on YouTube and see how these guys are doing that. So I was looking up... Uh, Jamie Murray. I was looking up uh, the Bryan brothers. I was looking up all these guys that I knew they were already in the top, right? And and I was just focusing on that, like how they positioning, how they, you know, make the uh, the choices on which moment they make a choice on how and, and you know all these things. So YouTube was your coach. So YouTube was partly my coach. Of course, I had my own coaches at home, but they were more single focused. Uh, and at one point, uh, well. I was successful, uh, but then I started to think, okay, you know what? I have to have a coach that also can, you know, be specific for doubles. And then uh, we took the, I took the, we uh, the trainer from Wesley uh, to start off, uh, Marco Cruz, and then uh, we starting from there to, to to practice my volleys and the position and all these things that belong to doubles. And uh, yeah, and uh, we we had a great uh, two and a half years uh, together. Yeah, well, he must have taught Wesley a few things. He's doing quite well now. Uh, He's doing really good uh, well. And he was like you. He was a bit of a singles guy as well, wasn't he? I don't think he got to 200 in the world. He's a bit below that. No, I think Wes was around 400. Yeah. So, yeah. So, But but he had also a different style. Um, But at, at the same time, you know, he already, you could see that he was a natural doubles player. You could see that. And you see, I was, I wasn't, but I had my purpose. Of course, I was good in rally. I was good in returning. I had a good serve. I was aggressive, so I couldn't really activate Wes. You know, so that combination of him doing the the, the cleaning work and and the tactical, and me doing the producing of the ball, that was that that combination was huge. Yeah, you seem to need that combination where between both you, you have to have all the skills covered. Right, and also the mental skills, and also sorry, the differences, and also the character differences, though, and 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 the, the the chemistry between each other. That was like an absolute super match, I would say. Yeah. Nice. Now, I 
I, I talked to you at the start of this before we started. I was like, I need to start this podcast off on something. And after remember it now that you mentioned it. Our last episode was with Daria Abramovich, who is the psychologist of Ega Swoon Tech. And I want to ask you, just to get this rolling, we'll jump into it now that you mentioned mental aspects of the game. Throughout your career, have you worked with a psychologist? Well, yes. Uh, basically, I want to... Three psychologists, maybe I forget one, but um, throughout my career, I had the, the, the psychologists for, for a variety of reasons. But the main reason was like all the players are always, you know, when they're doing their practicing or the tournaments, they, they're treating their body. But treating your mind is even more important, you know, and many people underestimate that. And, and many players underestimate the power of a, of, of a mental coach. Um, and that gave me a lot of um, a lot of good moments in my career, like to turning moments. You know that like I used that that material, I used the stuff that they taught me, and and it made me stronger as a tennis player, as a person. And uh, I think it's 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 really uh, everybody should should use it. You know that's 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 what I would say. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing we talked about was her was using one before you actually need one. Yeah. Well. Which most people don't do. It's very reactive thing. Yeah, they're reactive. You know, they're only going to go to the physio if they have pain, but they don't do it proactive, you know? So it's the same with, uh, with the mental part. True, you're right. Same with everything. And maybe, do you have one thing that stands out the most that helps you that you learned from a psychologist during tense times on the court? Yeah, so there was, uh, I, I forgot the exercise exactly because at that time I was using it a lot. Uh, but there was, um, what my problem was that I couldn't focus for a whole match. So I, the first uh, set, I was always focused. And then second set, I always get a little slobby. And then I start to seeing people and then I hear noises. And then I start to irritate to the to the, to the the opponent. And I start to irritate about my own game. And I couldn't really focus for two, three sets long, you know, being like a, a zombie. Sorry for my language. So, and I try to really find a way to get back to that. And, and then give me an... Uh, and the paper, and on the paper were circles, smaller circle, bigger circle, bigger circle, bigger circle. And he says, in the beginning, you're you're in the the, the last circle, the big circle. You're, you're all over the place, and try to get your step by step to the inner circle. And there was some text inside it, you know, how to get there. So whenever I went, um, so whenever we play two games, I go back to the bench, you know, take a water, and I'm looking to that to these circles, and I try to get myself back to these circles and focus on my inner body. And these combinations uh, help me so much that I start to focus on the circles instead of focusing on other things that the external factors that would not help me. And uh, and that was actually, that was key. And, I, and you still use it today? Uh, I, I have other methods, but but that one, that one is, you, I used a lot of my career and uh, I still use it time to time and uh, I use it actually in, uh, in in Africa where I was under very tough conditions <laughs> very tough to least to say and then uh, I use that uh, because there it's very easy to go crazy or to be distracted right and I use that um, uh, symbol a lot and that helped me great well yeah you mentioned Africa there so there's like Nigeria Sudan Rwanda and yeah. they're not ATP tour events there they're all futures What's it? What's futures, it like? Yeah. Like you were, you were saying you were about I don't know three hundred in the world, and you were going down there, which I think is pretty. It's I think it's a high ranking to be going down to those places. What was it like? Right. You mentioned John McGatton, an Irishman who I know had some <laughs> battles down there, and he had yeah. some, he's actually some good stories about 
guns and and then people coming onto the buses. What's your craziest story from down in Africa? Well, first of all, the reason why I went there, let me answer that one. The reason why I was 300 in the world and I, I couldn't get my way up to 200 and to be playing the Grand Slams, you needed to be around my time. You needed the 250 um, to play the Grand Slams. So I needed those tournaments to get my extra points and in order to get to, to the Grand Slams. Uh, I went uh, in 2017. I went to four tournaments: as Rwanda, Uganda, and two weeks Sudan. I won all of them. I won all of them, all the tournaments, without a single set loss. And I won also two uh, double titles without a set loss. So I, I went there without any set, without any losing any set. So that brought me from 300 to uh, 210 in uh, in four weeks. So that was amazing uh, for me. That's 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 the reason you want to go there. That's yeah. a good job. And yeah, that's a, it's pressure on you when you're going down there and you are probably one of the higher seeds. It's it's easy to lose early. Yeah, well, so it's pressure. Yeah, it's easy to lose because. Because you got a, a, a target on your back, and, uh, and and but I went there with with uh, with my knowledge that okay, it's gonna be very tough there. It's gonna be, the food's gonna be bad. It's the hotel's gonna be terrible. The the conditions are gonna be like whoa, under the limit. So I went there the week before. I didn't practice that much. I just was focusing that for the weeks that will come, that it's gonna be bad. It's gonna be awful. And I was just focusing. Okay, whatever happens, I will stay cool. So I just used the week before just. Men meditating basically you know that everything that could be wrong could go wrong and then you know i would not be bothered by that so i went there and i i, I hold my word and i i was like everybody went crazy and, and doing crazy stuff and i was like so cool and uh, tried to relax and i won all four weeks and uh the well yeah the first the first week was actually very funny uh, so the first week i was first seated like you mentioned you know the pressure is there and i had to play a guy from algeria and i lost against him a year before some and he was a really good player and i was like geez that's a bad draw for a first round i don't yeah. like it. i want to have a wild card you know give me a like a local <laughs> guy um so but the guy withdrew for some reason so now there were no lucky losers except uh one or two and there were the first lucky loser was the ball boy Oh. <laughs> the ball boy and the ball boy <laughs> came there he had no record he had only uh, like dirty shoes i gave him my record and basically we were playing and uh and and, and we made it like a some kind of a, like a, like a, yeah like a, a funny match you know like we're not even playing it serious yeah we play it serious but you know people were watching and supporting him and i was sometimes just playing with back to him you know so that was for, for me was like wow what's going on here the funny thing is that I, I won him, of course. And then the next few uh, matches, he was a ball boy in my match, you know, so that was so funny. <laughs> I love it. There's not many people getting ball boys these days. I see them down in Australia, uh, down the qualies. There's no ball boys. I say that guys no are No ball boys. No ball boys. Literally no ball boys. <laughs> they all have sore backs from picking up the ball. <laughs> yeah, that's unbelievable too. How, is it tough mentally going down to those countries? Because as you say, you know the food isn't going to be good. The sanitation isn't good. Like, do players actually still go? Is there still futures on down there at the moment? Well, uh, let's talk pre-COVID. I would say this is more realistic. Yes, I, uh, yeah, pre-COVID there were still uh, still tournaments. I think in um, I, I, sometimes I'm seeing Senegal or Zimbabwe. I saw one time and and all these tournaments. And I think these these tournaments now are are, are better. I, I'm talking about I did this 10, 15 years ago. 
I went to Lagos in 2001. I mean, man, I have their stories. I, we went there uh, every day. We went from Nigeria mainland. That was the worst hotel in the worst place you could ever imagine. And every day we had to go in a van towards the tennis courts. And people start to notice it that, hey, you know what? Uh, these are uh, white guys, you know, in a bus every day driving the same schedules, you know, like, um, let's, let's mm. you know, let's rob them. So at one point we were in the bus going uh, on a very different uh, uh, busy marketplace towards the hotel. And then uh, they, we got stopped by a few guys. And then guys, four or five guys came in the, the player bus. We were like with 10 guys. And they came in with knives, big knives. So the what we yeah so what I I was wearing this uh, secret uh, wallet under my um, under my pants basically uh, and I, I I gave a little bit pocket money where I should always have in my in my side because I know when you get rough you always want to have something to give right yes. in these countries you need yes. that so I gave what I have and I acted like I had nothing well I had my cap on so he took my cap and the funny thing is he took my cap and he went outside to look in the mirror of the car if it was uh, if it was good on him you oh. know and he kept it <laughs> yeah that was so funny but other guys start to panic and these guys start to panic too and then we start to be aggressive you know and then uh, eventually the the guy who got panic who panicked a little bit he gave him all his money he had like two thousand dollars in him and he gave everything so that was a poor poor guy you know and from that moment we got a military convoy every day we went from mainland to the tennis court so that was a little bit scary uh, moment I, I think a lot of players who've been down there tell similar enough stories, which is which is crazy. Even if we the guy Dave Mullins, an Irish guy, on he remember when he played a junior tournament down in South America, and he got picked up by the by some people who were nothing got to do with the tournament, and he ended up in places he shouldn't have ended up, and he was mugged oh and God. thrown out. So, yeah, just it's tough. Like, what would you tell? I heard you mention before that. You didn't play many junior tournaments as a junior. You started playing futures quite early. Would you recommend to parents that to send their kids down to Africa with proper adults at that age? Or it's just like, look, stay in Europe. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, if, you, if, if, if you have a kid and who is good enough to, to, to play in Europe... Um, he should play in Europe because the, the, I think the, the quality of the tournament, the quality of, of the players mm. is much better. And if you are surrounded with good environment, with good people, with good players and a good tournament, you, you will feel better and you will play better and you will, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's better to do that. And also, if you play juniors, I think it's good to play juniors if you're in the top, top, because then you can also get some sponsoring and all that things. I, I chose to go straight to Futures because I believed, you know, I, I, I was a good player at that time and I could make some early ATP points, which I, th I did. I think I was 17 or 18 and I already wanted to go that way. I think Africa is good if you needed a boost in your ranking, like I did. Yeah. You, you want to go there take the money, take the points and get the hell out of there. That, but this is for me. But I also enjoyed it at the same time because I have a weakness for Africa. I like the, the place, you know, the people try the best to make a tournament. And it's easy to say what's good and what's not good. And, and, and these things, a lot of things not good. But I, I think it's also for your experience as a person. It's also not bad to go to, to these places to see a different view in life and different view of the world, you know, because I, I can guarantee you in Europe, we are very spoiled, very spoiled. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's, it's a very nice way of looking at it because, you know, you do have the luxury of being able to travel to all these countries and to see what's happening in the world and how lucky you have it in Europe, I think, can only make you a better person and make you appreciate what you have. 
So yeah, it's 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 a tough one. But you really, as you say, you want to go down there with the tools that you can do a job and get out and be happy, rather than get beaten by a local in the first round. Yeah. The problem with the, with the tournaments in Africa, if 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 you go to Africa and you're not winning, you will feel like you will not win in Europe as well. Then your confidence start to go oh. down, and then you'll see a lot of guys will be stuck in the in the swamp of the the futures, and that is a tough one to be there and not winning. Yeah, that that's a, that's a potential uh, tennis uh, uh, career killer, I would say. Yeah, no, it it is. And I do look at some futures draws from time to time. And I've been looking at future draws for, I don't know, over 10, 12 years to minute. And I've seen some names crop up time and time again. I'm like, these guys just play futures their whole life. Like they've been in their 30s now, mid-30s, still playing futures. Obviously, if they're always in Italy and they live in Italy, it's local. It's probably, you know, it could be a bit of money for them or it's not too far to travel. But I'm sure there's some journeyman future players. You think those guys must be mad. Yeah, that's tough. That's that's tough. I always try to when I had a, a good enough ranking to play challenges, I play challenges, yeah. and that's it. I didn't want to go back. Uh, but sometimes you have no choice. Even guys, uh, you know, nowadays, even with COVID, you know, some guys have no choice. The, the cuts are strong. That was the thing last week, wasn't it? When was it Turkey? Was it futures in Turkey? Was it? And there was the the top seed was two fifty, and two fifty would have got you into. Delray Beach was that the case? Yeah, that could be. I I, I didn't check the, the, the but the, that could be the place. That's what they were saying. Yeah, I know there's travel <laughs> restrictions, so travel. But like it was crazy. It was like the guy wins one match in Delray Beach is better than somebody busting their ass off trying to win a futures, which is it's probably easier to win at one round. Would you agree? Of course, because when you play Delray Beach, you play an ATP event. You Naturally, when you're not used to that, you play better because you get a big uh, tournament. You feel Pumped. like, wow, yeah. this is so nice. You play free. You always play a guy who's higher. And that's the best way to perform. If you're stuck in Antalya or wherever and you play a future, it's not easy. You know, these guys, you're now, now you're foreseeded as a 250. You only can lose basically there. So it's yeah. much tougher to really win. So you need to come there with the right mindset. That, and that's what I'm saying to many guys that I know that are playing futures. You know, as soon as you can get out, get out. Futures yeah. is a good uh, school, absolutely. But if you stuck too long, which I did as well at, at, at the end of my career, I, because I was desperately holding on my career, yeah, that's not the right way. You want to go and, 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 and act accordingly and go from, to challenges as soon as possible. True, you're right. You got to move up. You got to graduate from it, but get out of there quickly. Yeah, you get to graduate. So if there's a choice between, and this is the choice that all these guys know, is their choice to be main draw and seated in the future or play qualies in a challenger these are the d- tough decisions you know then you see the difference between guys you know the, some guys go for the security and play well i can make some futures and other guys you know they, they take chance because they know they're good enough to play qualies and to qual- to qualify yeah. yeah no you make a lot of talk a lot of sense there let's talk a bit more about bit nicer tennis uh grand slam qualies connor nyland what do you remember from playing Ireland's number one at time. Why do you have to mention Conor Nyland now? <laughs> yeah, it can't be all good. Come on, give me something here. Uh, Conor is a good guy. I love him, but he beat me in the last round. Were you two sets up? I was, no. So we uh, we were playing last round qualification as US Open. Uh, well, at that time, I think Conor Nyland was a good draw for me. And I think uh, Matwe Milikoop for him was also a good draw to, for the last round police. Yeah. And we had to play each other uh, eventually to play Djokovic. And uh, and I was, I think, set up. No, no. I, uh, yeah, I was set up. 
uh, I was like 6-1 up and then he won 6-2 and the third set I had 4-3 for me him serving and I had two break points and and one rally it was such a long rally and I had just had to put the ball down the line with my backhand <laughs> because he was there out of out, down and out and I missed it I was so tight and I lost that match oh man and, and now you remind me I, I'm still pissed about it I like it uh, you, you know you gotta you gotta feel pissed give you some energy for the next few weeks you know build up <laughs> so, but no Connor's a great we had him on here a while ago and love Connor yeah great 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 guy great guy but yeah. so yeah because he went on and played jock which but he was sick. Yeah, but he was sick in my match too. That's why I was so frustrated. I I, I knew he was sick. The first set he was, he looked like like a, like a goblin. He was green. I mean, <laughs> and but but then he 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 got himself back together, and then I start to hope a little bit from oh maybe he's pulling out, maybe you know, and that's the worst way to play. And then the third set I was like, you know, let me just play. Whatever happens happens. And then on four three, I had those points, and I and I was like so tight, and I was a pussy, and then yeah, and I then I lost. Yeah, oh, oh my no. god. This podcast is brought to you by ASICS Tennis. ASICS is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever. Get the new Cord FF3 Novak or Gel Resolution 9 at ASICS.com. ASICS Tennis have also just launched their new Cord FF3 Novak, the only tennis shoe designed with Novak Djokovic input. To learn more about ASICS, visit their website www.asics.com. And and tell, what's it like when you're playing a guy out there who you don't know if they're injured or not and they're showing signs of injury? Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst, Fabio. How do you cope with that? Because you, it always affects the healthy guy the most. Um, yeah, so... so and me answering this, uh, you already understand that tennis is such a psychological game um and 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 the the stronger minds win uh, because basically on the top level we we're all good tennis players okay more one is more physical stronger than the other one but basically the stronger mental guy is the guy who wins in the long, in, in the long run so when you play a guy who's injured and i can speak from my own experience like against connor you start to think other things than what you should think you start to think in terms of hoping that he pulls out or sees you're looking on the other side, how is he reacting on this, how he is reacting. Instead of being the player you should be and focusing on your points, what you have to do today, about your tactic, your strategy, your technique. And all this, all this focus is gone towards the other guy, you know, and that's the worst thing you could do. And I know you, you're focusing on yourself. Hey, don't look to the other guy, but it happens. And that's really tough. So it's always, it's a match in a match. So whenever somebody is doing an act or somebody is really injured, I'm giving myself the hardest advice. I'm pushing myself not to look to the other side, not to interact with the other side and pure focusing on my own game and just uh, focusing on like one aspect of my game to just, uh, yeah, get me focused on that point. So instead, of, like I'm like, focusing on my surf, or I try only play cross, you know. So give myself like a, like a task and no drop yeah. shots. And no drop <laughs> shots. My last drop shot that I played was in 1999, I think. So. I love it. I love it. It's what you do. The guy's <laughs> injured. Let's move him around the court. Your game plan goes out the window. 
and you start doing crazy <laughs> yeah, stuff. So many guys start to panic. Why? I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. And you were probably winning all along anyway. So you were doing the right things. But yeah. but I broke a lot of records with these kind of situations because it's highly uh, intensive. But because the guy who was injured, you think it makes him less dangerous. No, it makes him more dangerous also because these guys start to play free. He yeah. doesn't care anymore. He lost already. Swing. Now you have like a, like a, like like a guy who is he's fired up, you know, and just uh, ripping the ball. Wow. We don't recommend breaking rackets at functional tennis, but sometimes no. you need to. That's not an advice, though, either way. No, you, sometimes you need to, though, and it just oh, lets yeah, off. It releases the pressure. Yeah. People don't understand, so they ask me, why do you guys play? Well, most of the people who ask me, ask, like, those are not sports people. They're not tennis players. They come to you or like a random, hey, I saw you playing tennis, and why you break your record? Why you stupid thing like that? You know, when I see it, it's like, come on. Dennis is war. We're not there out there just to give each other a hand and hey, well played, you know, and that's it. No, this is this is war. This is about points. This is about a tournament. It's about an award. It's about money. It's about so many things, you know. It's 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 the other guy, mano a mano, and that people don't understand that you get so uh, tense on the court. You get physical. You get you you know you want an eye on the prize, and yeah, and then like, sometimes you burst in. Extremes, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it happens that the racket uh, is the victim. It is. I, t I think it can be good to let it, I'm sure, clears the cobwebs. And yeah, I must ask, I'd love to get Marcus Bagdadis on sometime and ask him about his famous, he's probably the most famous racket smash out there where yeah. he smashed yeah. all his rackets. And I did hear Andy Ruddock, Babalot used to number all his rackets and he got up to over 500 and he used to just crack them up. I heard a story today that Marat Safin, he got a, a snowboard from Head, which mm. was his sponsor. And I heard that under the snowboard, they put numbers, 1,018 or something. And 1,018 were equal, uh, um, how many records in his career he broke on television. <laughs> so that was fun. Well, That's he, a story I, I, I heard, but I, I cannot confirm it. We'll have to ask him to confirm himself, get get to the truth of it. But, but this is good, no? This is it funny. Is, it is really good. <laughs> Look, yeah things have to be done and that's everybody's differently everybody reacts differently but tell me what's this i hear about you uh endorsing novak Djokovic gear and rackets no 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 endorsements here <laughs> no free endorsements no so there was uh, at the time i was sponsored by sergio tacchini and this is a while ago it was in my uh it was still at the time I was playing singles and that Djokovic was sponsored by Sergio Tacchini. And to be precise, it was the time that there was this dragon on his back of his shirt. People, many people will still remember. So I had, uh, I was Sergio Tacchini and I had these shirts as my shirts to play on court. I had head rackets and I had a head racket back with his name on it because he had his own racket back. And I had so both my clothes and my rackets were all with Novak Djokovic. So I was super embarrassed when I had to play Grand Slam and I see him <laughs> walking in his clothes. I felt like, a, you know, like a minion. I felt, I felt nothing. I felt zero. Already felt not good there. But yeah, that moment felt like, wow, okay. And were you not... I feel really small. Were you, and were you not going to Sergio Tacchini saying, look, can I just have some ordinary tennis gear? Why do I have to wear a Novak's tennis gear? Well, uh, at that time, uh, to be honest, I uh, was happy with okay. <laughs> any free stuff. Uh, you know, as as a tennis player who was still, you know, hovering between 200 and 300, uh, you don't have to say something. Uh, you, you know, you just yeah. uh, get your your stuff and then you you, you shut up. That's basically it. <laughs> you, I'm sure it gave you a little bit of inspiration. Of course. I yeah. mean, 
it's it's not the least guy, you know. It's 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 a player, so I, I'm not I'm not too embarrassed about it. I mean, I'm I just know. joking around a little bit, but still, you know, it's 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 a fun thing that I was totally in Djokovic. At the same time, my 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 idol was Murat Safin, so yeah, it was not really the same thing. <laughs> no, no. Ah, well, look, it's close. It's close. And are, do you know the top? Do you know like any of the top four? Let's say Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, Ravinka. Do you know them well? So, um, well, do I know them well? Uh, yeah, we see each other. So we always say hi. We always uh, say, how are you? And then like small talk. I played against Federer. Um, and a few times we talked in the, in the elevator or he asked me how was uh, my family was the, the, the doubles. And, and that's nice, you know. And also he did um, a signing a shirt for my daughter oh, nice. uh, last year in Halle. So and I put that on picture and I put it on Instagram and that was so nice and I'm so proud of that. So whenever I see him, also Luti, his coach, you know, I know him. Uh, so that was that was really nice. I think the definition of if you know him well is can you WhatsApp him? How about that? I don't have his WhatsApp. Oh, okay. So you don't know him well. Nah, is it, but no. But while you mention Federer, you beat Federer. Yeah. So uh, this was uh, back in 2015 when I just. Uh, I was uh, like uh, like over a half year of playing doubles, starting from scratch. And then in September, I had to play Davis Cup against uh, Switzerland. And we were 2-0 down in, uh, in the tie. And then uh, the, 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 the federation coach said, Matt, you have to play with Timo de Bakker. And then we played against uh, Chudinelli and Federer. And that was my first moment after a long time that I could play in the tournament again, you know, in a big area. And then I played against Federer. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. I better win. No, I thought I better play good. <laughs> That's the first thing what came in my mind. And um, well, uh, we beat them in five sets and in, in, a, in a full stadium in Geneva. I wow. mean, that was the one of the, uh, yeah, that was, that was for me the one of the most uh, memorable moments in my career. Yeah, there's not many people we get in the world and even on the show that have beaten Federer. So it must be, must be quite incredible. And have you, did you ever play him in singles? Never played him in singles. No, 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 never. Or practice with him? No, I just played only that match against him. Okay. Unfortunately, I practiced with Nadal. That was a while ago, but that was fun also. <laughs> what What's a Nadal practice session like? Intense. So uh, this was uh, back. I was playing singles still. Uh, that was during uh, Rotterdam and the ATP in Rotterdam. And we were practicing and I was, okay, I have to be playing fast. I have to not make many, uh, I, don't, I should not make any mistakes, you know, I should be very focusing and I was kind of nervous. Uh, but uh, so we, we I went to that practice court and there was like three, four hundred people watching. It's like, geez, I better play good, right? Oh God, yeah. And then uh, I was like, okay, he's going to play a lot of spin. That's for sure. But okay, I know how to play against it. And then he started to hit from the first moment. He started to hit full power with full spin. And, 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 and the, the, there was so much rotation on the ball that when the rotation came in my strings, you know, it started to spin in my strings. You know, that's how it felt. And I was like, geez, that's tough to play. And I started to frame a lot and I started to get nervous. And I started to get tight. You no, know, well, yeah, everybody knows what happens when you get tight. You know, you start to make more mistakes. And I was like, God. And then my coach said something to me and he, he relaxed me. And then from the after the 10 minutes, I was playing really good and I started to feel comfortable. And then we even played, a, a, I think, a tie break. I can't, can't say that I won, but... <laughs> you might have. And what's it like when you're playing? Obviously, is there a list of guys, no names need to be given, that you just don't practice with because they just shank, they miss, they don't care, they miss everything. 
do, do I have to mention some no. net or no, no, no. Oh, okay. you, or you can if you want. We all know. <laughs> no, well, nobody wants to practice with Fognini. <laughs> Uh, well, there's some guys, you know. Oh, sorry. What was the question? Yeah, no. Is is there guys out there that you just do not want to practice with? Like nobody wants to practice with. Um, well, there are some guys that I rather not practice with. I, I don't say I'm not ruling out anybody, but there are some guys you rather practice with than, and and mm. and there's some guys you absolutely don't want to practice with because either they're so lazy on the court and they don't have the intensity. Or they don't respect you a lot, or they don't, you know, or they don't care about the quality of the practice, and you know that which guys that are these are, you know. So you have to be, um, yeah, you have to be picky with that. There's nothing worse than showing up for your practice set. You get your 45 minute slot at the slam or the air slot, and the guys just doesn't give a sh- crap, missing everything. And I'm sure you're never, whether it's you or Nadal or somebody, they're never going to ask him again or her again. And it's not even about making mistakes or hitting frames. It's more about like what he shows. If he doesn't care and he makes mistakes and he doesn't care, yeah, that's that's really bad. You, if, 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 I also have played with guys that like they were nervous or they didn't feel good and they mistakes. That's fine, you know, because you know what they can do. Or they're what they're able. Because basically, we know every player. You now we know what he's able to. But if the intensity and 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 the, and and the mindset is really wrong, then yeah, I rather not play with a guy like that. Yeah, because I'm sure if you're playing with a junior, a new junior, somebody local as practice partner they're going to be nervous at the start because they're playing with a with a professional but i've also heard you say you built your career on being the hardest worker work hard with your junior career i'm not sure moving into seniors are you still working as hard as ever i know age limits but do you still see yourself as putting in more work than the other doubles guys um i well i was in the okay so when i started to play doubles, I was putting in a lot of hours because because of the fact that I I had to learn doubles. I had to learn doubles at 31 year old, so I was putting a lot of time in 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 my doubles, playing, practicing, looking on YouTube, how to uh, you know mm. all the information I tried to get into me. Now, also physically, I had to do a lot of things extra because we, when you play a higher level and when you get older, you have to do more, more, more to get the same thing. But I'm not, I never was uh, like an, uh, an uh, I was never addicted to a gym or something. I'm not like a gym rat like most of these guys are, you know. I had to do, I, I liked the more groundwork and more the tennis work. So I invested more in the tennis work, I would say. Uh, so I have a coach, uh, a Brazilian coach, travel coach. And with him, I was for basically, I was uh, doing a lot of boxes, you know. So we get 100, 200 balls, only volleys, only volleys. So in that way, I worked really hard to get my uh, net game, yeah. to get my net game to a proper level that I feel comfortable. So, and that's what I did. And that's, and if you mentioned hard work, I think it was more smart work. And, 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 and the hours that we put in, it was really specific to get me better as a doubles player. Uh, and that was actually the, uh, can I do better physically? Yeah, I can do more physically. I can do more this, more that. You always can do more. But at this moment, I felt like, okay, if I do work like that, I feel good and good. And I feel uh, that um, I can I can even do more later, you know? And what about now, like 2021? What's the attitude towards, let's say, gym work, recovery, stretching, that side of things, physio work? And court work. Um, I still can. I can still do better there. I would say, especially the fit, the fitness side. With like you say, I'm, I was. I'm a little bit too reactive in in terms of if I have something, then I will work harder. And when I don't, 
have anything, I start to tend to go down a little bit in intensity. So this is something I still have to learn. But I, I'm 37, I can still learn. But when I'm working, and uh, like pre-COVID, I would say, the, these moments that I was uh, at home, I was practicing with my uh, personal uh, physical coach. And we worked out hard every week, like four or five times, and then the two hours, two and a half hours a day. And that was good. But lately, yeah, no other things, you know, you cover it, everything is closed, restricted, and that's not good, you know, to, to, to put a good schedule in. So, yeah, it's maybe a little excuse, but it's this what it is. <laughs> it is. Well, you're right. It is tough when you don't, can't see what's ahead of you. Obviously, yeah. if the Aussie Open, which, when are you flying out to Australia? So I got my ticket a few hours ago. I'm flying Wednesday to, uh, from Amsterdam to Abu Dhabi. And Abu Dhabi, I have to lay over for nine hours and then I take my flight to uh, the charter flight towards Melbourne. Is this an ATP tour charter flight or a grand, an Aussie Open charter flight? It's an Aussie Open. Uh, yeah. So oh, Aussie, nice. Open is arranging, Aussie Open is arranging uh, 18, they, they ordered, I think, 15 or 18 uh, airplanes they chartered. And with every airplane, there are only 75 or 70 people allowed. So they can, it's like 20% of the capacity of the airplane in order to uh, guarantee everybody's safety and distance. So yeah, it's a quite a, an operation. Nice. Yeah, this is, we're recording this on the 11th of January. So we'll go out next week. So hopefully you'll be landed. Well, you would have well landed in Australia by then. And which hub are you going to? Uh, sorry, which one? Are you going to Adelaide? No, I go to Melbourne. Okay, yeah, Adelaide or Melbourne. And what's the, I actually don't know much about the quarantine process over there. Is it two weeks, one practice partner per week? Is that the way it's working? Yeah, so you have two weeks in the quarantine. You have one practice partner uh, for the first week, which is going to be my doubles partner, uh, Marcelo Arevalo. Uh, then uh, the second week, you get two other uh, guys on court. In this case, it's going to be uh, Rohan Bopana and Nick Monroe. Uh, and then after that two weeks... Uh, and if you get your negative test and then you're released and then actually uh, you can go into the city and you're free to go. And that's really something different for us. I mean, we're always used to be in quarantine and now we can go to restaurants and everything's open there. Yeah, the Aussies, so I can't wait. To, I can't wait to go to a restaurant. <laughs> the Aussies are good. That's going to be it's going to be like a little holiday for you, but. Don't oh, don't overindulge. But no, so you played doubles with Bopan last year. Yeah, yeah he's a in good, Antwerp. He's a good guy. We had him on the show before. Love like what he's doing. He is one a great guy. Second, he's so experienced and it's so good to play with a guy like that. He he carries your ass, you know. Like so, either you you're winning or you're learning with him, and and and, and that's what I think is. Uh, I was really happy to play that one week. That was uh, with him, and we made final, which was a pretty good um, pretty good result. And he's playing with Monroe, is he? Uh, I'm not sure if he's playing with Mon I don't think he's playing with Monroe. I think uh, because I think both of these guys playing with a singles player okay. and they want to pair up for the practice week. So that's more, I think. He's, he normally plays with Denis Shapovalov. And tell me, just a couple more questions here. One is when you're playing doubles now, so, so you're, you're top 30 doubles, you're what, just over 40 at the minute. So you're one of the top guys there. So you've developed into doubles player. But when you play two singles players now, how do you feel? If you would if if you would ask me this a year ago, I would give you a different answer. And now it's also a different answer. It's 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 like these days I would love to play singles player. And before, when I was not comfortable on the net, I would not love to play singles player. I felt like uh, I had a target on my front head, you know, and they <laughs> were killing me sometimes on the net. But these days I have developed a little bit better in the net game, and 
and I feel much more comfortable. And now you see the gaps in their game. So nice. now it's a different, you know, now, now, now I switched that around. You see how they did it, you know, like I feel much yeah. better. But that came with the work, that, like I mentioned before, like I put a lot of work with my Brazilian coach just on the volley and the net game and all the position. And that gave me a huge advantage uh, in, in, in instead of the year uh, before. Nice, very nice. Eve. That hard work does pay off, kids. And yes. what, what is your advice for juniors? top juniors in their country like let's say top five in most countries what's the one bit of advice if a 15 year old comes and goes hey Matway can you give me some advice please or give my kids some advice well it's actually a good question and, 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 and also actually I think uh, I uh, actually I spoke this two three days ago with, with a Dutch coach and we mentioned it like the juniors are good but they're not developed in doubles and I think if you see, because most of the, the coaches or the federation don't take doubles that serious, uh, but they don't see the advantages of playing doubles. Because now, um, when you play doubles, you, 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 you're enhancing your serve, you're enhancing your return, you're, you're enhancing your volley game, you're enhancing the feeling of winning a match and, and, the, and the tension with the super tie break, and it's chaotic and it's hectic. And, and if you can manage to, to win in, in, in a situation like that, then in the singles, it's also a little bit different. Now it's more relaxed. Now I have more time. Now it's a bigger court, you know? I think it helps amazingly to play doubles sometimes seriously and to put it also sometimes in your practice. I think I can I can recommend to do that. Uh, I wish I did it before because that would help my volley game earlier on in my singles too. Uh, but um, as an advice, I would say to the coaches and to the players, go ahead and play doubles. Play more doubles. It's good because it's extra court time. Sometimes when you're losing a lot of singles, it's good to win a doubles to get your confidence back. I would say uh, this is my top, uh, top hint. Yeah. Great. So juniors, play more doubles. And tell me, have you thought of life beyond tennis do you have any plans whether you'd like to set up an academy or go work in business have you thought of that yeah of course uh, i'm always busy with the future this, this is how i work I, I love always to think about opportunities um and as a matter of fact i started a business not a long time ago uh with a tennis line a tennis clothing line with a with a partner and um, it's called on course and it's what i'm wearing and it's what i'm gonna wear in australian open you will see it in a, it's, I think it's pretty cool, and uh, yeah, we're gonna work hard to 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 get that on the map on the, in in the in the world of tennis. Nice. Well, I look forward to checking it. Out. I did see you were with Biddy Badu before, so this now it's, it must be great to have your own brand. So that's going to be exciting. There's a lot to learn there. That's going to be really exciting. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, it's not about money per se. I, it's just like I believe in this, and it's good to 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 put something that you your knowledge into it and, and, and then work it out and uh, you know a business is always good to start I think it only can help you know and if it fails it fails but I, I strongly believe in it and I have a lot of experience in this uh, in this area actually so and Biddy Bud was really good to me we had a really good um, collaboration and, and now it was time to to make my own clothing line with my uh, with my partner and my companion Nice look forward to seeing the range I'm going to end this with one question who do you think we should have on the podcast what guests could you recommend to connect us with um i think it's good to uh, have my uh, doubles partner who i was supposed to play with in uh, antalya sander Arendt. he is i think 80 in the world now and uh, i think also he has a quite a story to how he went to top 100 in doubles and uh, and and also the stories around it uh, you'll uh, 
you will you'll be uh, you'll be happy that I make that recommendation. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Way. Uh, I look forward to seeing how you get on down in Australia with Marcello. So best of luck down there. And yeah, t- thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. What a great guy. Really hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be back next week. And until then, goodbye.